Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Voices That Cook. This is your host, William Nunn, who is a voice actor who likes to cook, and I get to do this show talking with other voice actors who also like to cook, and today I've got a very special guest on today, and that is, of course, my friend and fellow Dune enthusiast, that is Michael Malconian. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well. Warning, this podcast may contain spoilers for... Dune 2021 and Dune 1984 and Sci-Fi's Dune 2000 and Children of Dune also on Sci-Fi 2003. Now, I actually have not seen the Children of Dune miniseries, though I do know a couple things about it, other than obviously James McAvoy is mm-hmm. in it, um, which I think is am- amazing that he's playing that particular character. But yes... I will say, since the movie will have been out for a little while, I, w- I we could call this the Dune episode as well. Since uh, <laughs> previous episode, I got to mention that I, in a spoiler-free manner, I love the movie, and that was mainly it. Um, but for this case, since I've got Michael on, we will probably be discussing Dune at heavy length. Would you say we might want to do that first, or do we want to do that last, so that way um, we can have all the food stuff and your voice acting yeah, let's, career kind let's of? Let's do that. Uh, let's do that last. Alrighty the, then. The that sounds stuff. good to me. So we'll we will let y'all know when it's time to bounce, uh, in case you are not caught up on Dune related things. Um, so to start off with, I usually like to ask uh, all of my guests because I I do genuinely find it a very interesting topic. What got you started in voice acting? Uh, Well, I am a lifelong performer and actor in some way or another. Uh, I started when I was very, you know, a kid uh, doing community theater and uh, stuff in school. When I was in second grade, I think, second or third grade, I actually wrote a play and we did the play it was about talking bats and nice i stole all the names of the bats from um a line of lego sets that was out at the time called alpha team uh <laughs> but yeah so I, I i've been acting my whole life um i did it in high school i did it in college i graduated from college and uh i tried to become a professional actor um and after a few years of that, trying to do a little bit of everything, film and commercials and TV and web stuff and everything, I eventually felt very stretched thin. Uh, I wasn't happy with uh, what I was doing, and so I realized that voice acting was not only, one, most the most accessible thing for me, and two, the thing I enjoyed the most, and three, the thing I was the most successful in thus far. And so I decided one day that I would just stop all the other kinds of acting and just be a voice actor. And that was a pretty good decision. Uh, yeah, so ever since then, I've kind of just been focusing on that. That's great, man. Um, I noticed that uh, before we started, I kind of wanted to mention um, that I had looked into this. I did not get to watch it because I didn't have time. Um, but I did find, um, on YouTube that you had actually voiced Caboose from Red vs. Blue for Death Battle. That must have been a pretty awesome experience to do. Could you, uh, let us know what was that experience like for you to be involved in Death Battle? 
Oh, well, I remember back in uh, college. Uh, I don't remember exactly how, but uh, I got involved in probably the most casual sense possible with uh, the not even the online My Little Pony fandom. I just watched the show. I heard about the show online. I was like, okay, this looks interesting. Uh, and then I met other people at USC, the college I went to, who were also into the show. We had like this little group of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so one day I saw a video that was like Rainbow Dash versus Starscream. And I was like, I like Rainbow <laughs> Dash and Starscream. And so I watched the video. And it was one of the early death battles. Um, and that was probably in 2013, 14, one of those maybe. Uh, almost 10 years ago, but, uh, I'd been a fan of that, uh, content since, um, and so, uh, having the opportunity to audition for it, of course, was something that's, you know, it's one of those things where you, you think back and say like, oh, I never would have thought I would have had the chance. Um, but, uh, I did, and I, I knew of, I, I knew of Red versus Blue, um, I mm -hmm. had a friend in high school that was, like, really into it. Uh, and, yeah, I just did my best on the audition, and then uh, I booked it on my birthday, which was nice. Nice! Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we did the recording. This was uh, the, this was last year, uh, in the summer. And then I just, uh, I mean, it was great, you know, working with... Uh, the uh the rooster teeth team on this uh you know this this project uh and it's something it's cool that you know you just, um i i i only got on voice acting twitter like not too much earlier than that um and there's a you know you see a lot of people getting to announce uh that they got the chance to be a part of this uh series so uh it's something that uh it's cool seeing, you know, a lot of people have the chance to have the, the same experience I did. Um, but yeah, just, uh, it was a good session and, uh, maybe one day do it again. Who knows? That'd be awesome. I, I look forward to listening to that after the show because I really want to hear it. Yeah. Um, but one <laughs> I have heard that I, I continuously go, yay, over is, you got to have a, a little part in uh, Dragon Ghost House Hunting, which is one of my favorite anime in recent memory. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm very happy to have you on for an another reason would be that. <laughs> um, what was that experience like for you to do um, to do a dub for Funimation? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that was my first time doing an official anime dub. That and uh, Full Dive. We did that in the same uh, session. Um, Full Dive has a much longer name that I don't remember off the top of my head, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we're good. the character that I do in Full Dive, actually, I think he kind of looks like me. That was cool. Um, mm. but yeah, the, uh, what was I saying? The, um, uh, doing, doing that for Funimation, uh, and, uh, by extension, you know, the production company, uh, Sound Cadence was uh, working with them on that, um, I mean, they're, you know, they're pros at it. They know, like, they, they have this thing down to a science. And so uh, it was actually, you know, 
dubbing it can be challenging uh matching up the the lips and all that but uh all credit to the script writers or the the adapters over there that uh you know i i like to think of it as it's like uh being really good at uh, crossword puzzles you know and i you, you need like a a this many syllable word that means this right uh mm. to put in the script and they just you know they do it so well you know the lines just slot right in uh and so it was a very uh, it was an enjoyable session. I was nervous, but it was it was enjoyable, and it went by pretty quickly. Just because, again, you know, just how efficient uh, the whole process is. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that was uh, when did I do that one? That was back in uh, <laughs> that was also back in the summer. Um, and it, it's just, it's it's been something that I've been working toward uh, for a long time. Yeah, so I, I was really happy to uh, finally get the chance and, again, hopefully uh, do some more moving forward. That would be great. Um, with that efficiency, do did they have the script kind of already down to where it was like, this is how it's going to be? Or um, was there anything that maybe you were doing where they were like, uh, actually, maybe that might need one less syllable or one more syllable or one less word because of maybe how the delivery might have sounded differently from how you did it? Or was it pretty, pretty, pretty much already like, okay, this is how you're going to do it. And it will match up because they thought about it long enough. Uh, well, what what they do in anime is uh, usually the lines are tested and true. However, um, what is not uncommon in anime scripts uh, or so I'm told at least is uh, occasionally a, a given line where they're not sure if it needs, you know, four or five syllables, they'll have options, basically. So oh. they'll have you do like, okay, try this one, you know, as written. And if it if it's not fitting, you know, try it this other way that we've also already conceived of. Uh, the only time you ever improvise is when, you know, uh, you do kind of the stuff that I was doing a lot of besides my given lines, which was the you know, the crowd stuff where I go, ah, you know, and I get blown up by <laughs> fire and all that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's really awesome that you got to do that. And for anyone out there who has checked out One Shot's D&D Character Podcast, my other show, this is as close to an Odysseus Claw anime as you could possibly get. It, it is completely fun. There's a lot of heavy role-playing um, concepts and things that are just completely in front of you, and they break the fourth wall. It is it is a wild, fun series that won't take you too long to get through, especially if you have Funimation, and I I, I couldn't recommend it more. It, it's so fun. It's a really, really good series, and you get to hear him in there. Um, so that's <laughs> just uh, lots of lots – of, uh, Happy thoughts of me remembering going back and watching that show almost every week. Um, and if I ended up missing episodes, like, well, guess what? Next time I go in, I can watch two episodes in a row or three episodes in a row. And that would just make me even happier and then be sad when the season ends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, speaking of things that make us happy... We got to talk about that food, sir. We got to talk about that cooking experience, which I would oh, yeah. like to now ask you, what got you started in cooking? 
Um, uh, mostly it just came down to uh, picking things up. Um, well, here, here's what here's what really happened. So, uh, my sister is a professional chef. Um, and basically, what happened was she's uh, f- she's younger than me. So, um, she uh, when I when I was in college, she was uh, in high school and practicing already to become to to work in food and she does a lot of baking but she also does a lot of you know uh cooking as well and what ended up happening was that the food network was on our tv like all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so basically i just started picking up you know what what you know if not picking up the technique, at least, you know, learning about different kinds of food and being interested in trying it myself. Um, honestly, she's, you know, she's the professional. She's way more into it than I am. But uh, I have, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, the past few years, just sort of picked up various recipes that I enjoy just making for myself as a meal. Um, just to kind of expand the options that I have. Uh, based on the needs I have in a given day, basically, because sometimes I like uh making heavy food where I don't have to do anything afterwards because I can just you know relax, and sometimes I just want I just want to eat very lightly, uh, because I have a lot of stuff to do that day and I don't want to just you know I don't want to take that much time uh mm-hmm. to eat, but uh yeah I mean that's mostly it um. As far as uh, me and cooking goes, uh, it's just something I do when uh, when I can and when I just feel like making something or trying something. Has there ever been anything you've made where you thought to yourself, ooh, my sister would be impressed with this? Uh, hmm, let's see. I made cookies once. That was cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she likes desserts. Um works on them a lot um what else i made these I, I made these pretty good cookies that were like in a pan uh and that you cut them out like brownies but they're square but they're still cookies you know mm. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> that sounds really nice yeah i have not i have not made my own cookies in a very long time i remember my mom trying to show my brother and i how to make cookies when we were really young Mm-hmm. And the only thing I remember the two of us <laughs> actually doing with the cookies, though, was we actually made the shapes and we wanted to make our cookies look like uh, heads of Zorak from <laughs> Space Ghost Coast to Coast. So we had these okay. praying mantis head shaped cookies that would come out of the oven and... I don't remember if we were joking about eating Zorak as we devoured the cookies, but I remember them being being good, hmm. and I remember the shapes being they 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 had almost like a heart shape to them, but with Zorak's mouth kind of pressing at the at a little edge to give it that sort of beaky teethy mouth that he has. Right. Um. So that was that's my one cookie experience that I remember having and at some point I should learn how to make my own cookies especially now that before we even started recording this episode I went ahead and started making my second pizza Mm. uh, my my second major pizza crust 
And it went so much better than my first time, where my first time was very stressful. Right. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was doing some stuff right and all this. And I think what made I think what made that one a bit more challenging and this one a lot easier was a combination of I think I had I had more yeast this time. Not not a shitload of yeast, mind you, but just just enough to where I feel like I got a better balance of it uh, for what was needed. And then I also added flour if it felt too sticky. Mm-hmm. And that helped keep the dough wanting to stay in the shape and position that allowed for it to be. And then when I got to do the whole slap and fold... It was actually starting to look like how it looked on the videos I had been watching. So it may have also been a factor of like that last time I didn't add extra flour if I felt the need for it. And now I did. And it's like, this is so much easier. Hmm. Um, so that a, was. Do you have a pizza stone? I do not. This is this is for a Roman pizza. So okay. I, I will be using a baking dish, um, which I have seen in multiple ways of doing it. But I do have I do have a pizza peel that I finally got from my first guest on the show, Aaron Nicole Lundquist. Hmm. Um, thank you for that, Aaron, in case you're listening. Um, but a pizza stone I would like to get, especially now that I feel like the pizza dough that I made tonight is... I feel like it could work pretty well as um, a circular pizza, those more traditional uh, Neapolitan-type pizzas. Um, But I would want a pizza stone, and I would also want to make sure that I have, like, maybe a garlic butter sort of thing I could add to the crust on there, which would be nice. I did add some some of my garlic and herbs powder to my flour, so I'm very curious to see how that's going to turn out. Um... Because I, I like the idea of my pizza being a bit more garlicky when when the crust is all what it's supposed to be. Um, but whenever I wake up in the morning, I'll add some oil to one of my baking sheets, stretch out the dough to be very much square shaped and stretch it out as best I can to till it reaches the edges. And then I'll put another baking sheet on top, wrap that up in plastic wrap and just let it sit in room temperature for two hours but I will 30 minutes beforehand go ahead and put the oven at preheat to get to 500 degrees so that by the time I'm through prepping the pizza, I know for certain it's ready to go in the oven. And it will have already been at 500 degrees for at least a few minutes, if not maybe 10 or so. And I'll add in my sauce, my cheese, and my pepperoni, and my seasonings. Um, I, I mainly wanted to make sure I had this down because my brother is visiting for Thanksgiving. And I want to make sure that I'm more comfortable making a pizza before he arrives. Because I would like to not only make my own pizza for him while he's here, but I also uh, know that when I feel more comfortable with my um, my uh, dough, and if it's good here, then next time I make my pizza, I'm going to make my own sauce, which I have not done before, and I really want to do. Um, so I'm pretty pumped about that that uh, that Thanksgiving because. I will be picking them up from an airport the day before, so I won't be making anything for Thanksgiving itself, probably. Uh, but I can at least make him a pizza while he's here. Cool. Sounds fun. Indeed, indeed. And uh, normally, this would be the last question I would ask, but we got something else to talk about after this. What's your favorite recipe? Uh, well, mine's also pizza-related. 
<laughs> mm. Maybe I should pick something else. I don't know if it's I don't know if no, this is as no, good as no. yours. You, <laughs> you're welcome. You are welcome to to tell me about your pizza. And if you want to also mention another recipe that's different from pizza, feel free. But I ha- I want to hear your pizza. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, what I like to do. So we we do have a pizza stone. Um, and it really makes a difference. You get great crust with that. But it's not something that I've personally done. Uh, usually my sister does that. Um, mm-hmm. what I like to do is we have this uh, non bread. I like making non bread pizzas. Ooh, I love non bread pizzas. And before I continue with that, I just want to ask: Have do, have you seen Babylon Five? Not yet. Okay. Well, there's there's a there's a, a, a there's a alien people in Babylon 5 called the Narn. Um, and in my opinion, a non-bread pizza kind of looks like a Narn person's face. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the Narn bread pizza. At least the way I do it. Because mm-hmm. Narn, I don't know, you, you, you look it up. Look look up Narn. Look, look, look up Jakar in Babylon 5. You'll see what I mean. But, uh, what I like to do, so we have non-bread, it's about maybe, it's not circular, you know, it's non, so it's like maybe 10, 12 inches across. Um, that goes on the pan, um, and then I, uh, I'm a big spicy person, so I take the existing tomato sauce that we have, but then I put it in a bowl. And I add, like, even more garlic powder and maybe some onion powder mm-hmm. and salt uh, just to get it, like, really... Sometimes even uh, red pepper flakes goes in there uh, to get it nice and spicy. Nice. Um, that goes on the naan. Uh, and then... This doesn't... I. This is one of those things that, like, I do because I think it makes a difference. Like, it's like a placebo effect. I, I almost never, like, taste the difference just because, I don't know, maybe my palate's not that good or maybe it's just not how that works. But I sprinkle a little bit of, like, Parmesan cheese uh, on the sauce. Mm-hmm. And then I do shredded mozzarella over that. And then I like pepperoni, so I, uh, I, 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 I very generously uh, apply the pepperoni, uh, almost covering the entire thing, if if possible. Uh, My man. Very pepperoni-y. Um, occasionally I may <laughs> divulge into sausage or some other kind of meat, but uh, it's always meat uh, on top. Um, yeah, and then that goes in the oven for like 10 minutes, you know? It's a, ni- it's a, mm-hmm. very, it's a very fast pizza. Um, maybe turn it around halfway through, but, uh, yeah, and, uh, that's, that's it, you know, comes out, serves one, mostly, maybe two if neither of you are very hungry. <laughs> but, yeah, I would definitely that, be hungry that's how I make, looking at that. That's how I make Narn bread pizza. I did look up an image, and my immediate thought was, <laughs> it's a lot of, that's a lot of... That's a lot of spots. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the pepperoni. Nice. 
That's As the pepperoni, a... and it looks all cheesy, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's a pizza man. As a big fan of Deep Space Nine, I've heard that there's lots of comparisons between it and Babylon 5, which makes me interested in wanting to see the show. Also, just because I've heard people talk lots of good things about the show in the past. Yeah, they basically um, came out around the same time, and they have a very similar premise of, like, you know, critical space station in the middle of, like, a very common trade route. Uh comes under new management by, you know, the humans and uh, all sorts of really great, you know, uh, political machinations and warfare and intrigue and secrets ensue. Uh, Babylon 5 is really good. I spy It may have to... My, my favorite character is this guy called Londo. And uh, he doesn't... I wouldn't compare him to anyone. In, he's kind of like Quark, actually, a little bit, but... Mm -hmm even more, like, eccentric, and he talks like this. He says, like, Ah, I'm so good to see you, my good friend, Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs> and he's got this hair that looks like, you know... I don't even know how to describe his hair. It's like this big crescent toothbrush on his head. But, uh... <laughs> he's a very fun character. He, you know, he's a... He's basically this, um... political ambassador to the station. But, uh... He's very prideful, and he's funny, and uh, he's always trying to, like, do some scheme. Yeah, that's Londo. Londo, Sounds Mulan. like he'd be worthy of the Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think they'd get along. I, uh, I really enjoyed um, Quark's storylines and seeing oh, yeah. how he would kind of progress... He doesn't. It doesn't change a, a, a huge amount throughout the show, but there is more of a willingness to help uh, later on. But what I really, I think, what really captured me about the show more than anything was <laughs> how there were not only elements of the show that that would do these big story arcs and have these big battle sequences that I didn't think you could have done back in the nineties. Like, holy shit, they're doing. They're doing stuff that looks like the ending of Mass Effect 3 right now. This is <laughs> insane. Yeah, it was pretty for good. A for, for a Star Trek show at the time. Like, this was, this was before J.J. Abrams rebooted the series and we had the big, <laughs> the really big crazy stuff happen there. And, and then seeing them do it in Deep Space Nine just had a lot more weight to it and a lot more punch and the intensity. It's like you felt like it was all building up to this. but It was, it was so much more of a visceral show. Than its predecessors. Um, mm -hmm. la, la, it, it, I, I don't know if you share this opinion or not, but uh, I think maybe you do because I, I don't. I think we we've talked about it a lot. But uh, in my opinion, it is peak Trek. Uh, Same. Yeah. It's just, you, you, the next generation is you know great TV, but you can never go back after you see DS Nine. Like I don't even know how I got turned on to DS Nine. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> How I get turned on to stuff is often, like, super random. Like, I'll randomly hear, like, some YouTuber, like, comment on it or, like, a film review, like, mention it. It's like, oh, DS9, that's interesting. I'll check that out. And then, oh, it changes my life. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, the Ferengi characters in particular, um, it, it was, like, because there, there was almost no hope for them in t after TNG. Because you're like, where do you go from that? And then 
they just show up as like they're like actually just the three best characters Quark, Rom, and Nog. My favorite is still Garrick, but Quark, Rom, and Garrick's, Nog are like right there. Garrick, Odo, and Quark are my holy trinity of Deep Space Nine. Odo's great. I I remember my friend Greg uh back when I was in community college. This was nine years ago. He was <laughs> telling me he was telling me about Deep Space Nine. I don't remember the exact details that he had mentioned about it, other than it had a legit overarching story, unlike most Star Trek shows. Mm-hmm. And I remember finding that very interesting. And I said, okay, I'll check that out at some point. And that that statement I told him years ago, he and I haven't talked. I doubt he's ever going to listen <laughs> to the show. But the fact that I still remembered that conversation i'm like i have to watch this at some point i really would like to and then quarantine happened and i thought mm-hmm. okay i am gonna have to watch this at some point and then i literally decided to start after i'd gotten my uh it was the day after i'd gotten my johnson v johnson vaccination um and i felt like i just couldn't do anything i was just like i need to just stay home and recover and I said, okay, this is probably as good a day as any to start Deep Deep Space Nine, especially after I had gone through – because I knew I was going to start the show this year, and I thought I should start with at least going through some episodes of Next Generation that apparently lead into it because I saw like a a Reddit – post of like here's here are the episodes you need to watch before you start watching deep space nine for context um and i really am glad i did that not only just for not only just to re-experience the borg and because that's a heavy part of the pilot but also uh wharf's major character arcs which i didn't really even go through those before i had i was like holy crap Worf might be my new favorite Star Trek character, thanks to some of these episodes. Like Picard was my man for a long time, and then I started seeing like the whole thing going on with the Klingons, and and then like and then just having my mind blown, going, <laughs> "Holy crap! Candyman is Worf's brother." <laughs> <laughs> Tony motherfucking Todd is the man. Yeah, the Klingon I stuff love is that really man. good. I love that man so much. And and just having more Klingon stuff was great. And then um and, and then uh you know just just seeing about the stuff with the um uh the Bajorans and the Cardassians um which I had seen the whole um chain of command episode. I had seen that two part right. before, but now seeing it with a new context of how they've been dealing with things was interesting to go back to and even just analyze it as an actor made me appreciate some of those stronger episodes of the next generation even more. And then of course, uh, O'Brien and his marriage to, uh, Keiko, um, mm-hmm. that was, I'm so glad I got to see that leading up to my watch of deep space nine. <laughs> and then, and then finally, I started watching the show and it felt like I really hadn't missed a beat as far as major plot points and things. And I, I, I liked the pilot, but I feel like I didn't get to the point of really loving the show until I realized I was going through a lot of season one and there were some episodes that were fine and some episodes that were okay. 
but there was always at least one moment in those episodes that made me go, I really liked that scene. That was a great scene. And I knew I was really liking these characters. Um, so that made me feel like I was really getting attached to them. And then it just has the strongest and then duet cast. happened. Yeah, the duet. Duet happened, and for any of you who don't know the show, um, if I were to tell you to watch one episode of Deep Space Nine to understand why it's so beloved, Duet is probably my pick, and it's the one of the very few shows where I decided to actually watch that episode twice back-to-back, because I wanted to experience it from getting the, after getting those reveals and then having that context to see... How did it all how does it all add to the experience knowing what's really going on in it? But at the same time, and this is what I really wanted to curveball it back to, if there there are lots of episodes of Deep Space Nine that feel like you're watching theater in outer space. I, I agree with that. You feel like you're on a you feel like you're on a you're at an auditorium and seeing a stage with these actors performing really well put together theater especially the bottle episodes where there's primarily two characters interacting with each other mainly just to save costs on the show and they end up being some of the most powerful and awesome episodes in the whole series personally i would recommend the one where they all play baseball <laughs> yes <laughs> no 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 i would say it's about, uh, it's I, about I, courage yeah i'm tempted to say in the pale moonlight uh However, mm-hmm. I think you're probably right, uh, or you're probably more correct than I am, just insofar as the fact that in order to really appreciate The Pale Moonlight, it can't be like the only one you watch, you know? If you're only going to watch one, Duet is probably a good one, but really you should just watch the entire thing. I agree. <laughs> um, there's only five episodes I would probably 100% ignore whenever I go back to rewatch. <laughs> um uh, the one that has Amore, Mr. Dor, Amore, Mr. Corp. I don't remember what they said because I tried to block it out of my head. That that episode is uh, that was the one episode where oh, I the one they play the board game. That was they terrible. Get tra- they get trapped in the board game, right? Yeah, I hate that episode. Yeah, the kids, <laughs> the kids like hopscotching. It was, it's it's one of those things where. You go and watch something like in the pale in the pale moonlight, and then you watch that episode, and it's like, how is this the same show? How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> Such vast amounts of of quality uh, in that whole thing there, but I, I, think, I would say I think I would say DS Nine. You know, for I I enjoyed it. You know. I, Maybe maybe there are episodes I like more than others. I'm sure there are. Uh, I haven't thought about it comprehensively, mm-hmm. but I think it remains my second favorite like sci-fi TV show. Can you guess the first? Uh, I could guess two. Okay. Uh, my first guess will be Babylon Five. It's not Babylon Five. My second guess is it Firefly. It's not Firefly. I actually I need to finish Babylon Five. My uh, in my opinion. Uh, and we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to do a tangent on this, but, uh, sure. my favorite sci-fi TV show of all time is Battlestar Galactica, the, the sci-fi, well, the newer one. So say we all. I, uh, 
I watched that show back in 2012 when it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I think I binged through it within two to three months. And I've been wanting to go back and watch it ever since. Uh, I've been obsessed with Bear McCree's music for it ever oh, since yeah. then. I love those bagpipes. The bagpipes, <laughs> the percussion. It's it's what made me a huge fan of his. It's one of those shows where I, I can that. I can never go back and rewatch it just because I felt it was so perfect the first time through. There is a part of me that's scared to go back and rewatch it. Because mm-hmm. I worry that maybe it may not hold up in some aspects. Guy is fracking same- bolter. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I do I do know that there's going to be aspects of the show I'm going to appreciate more because I remembered hating Gaius. I remember hating him. But – He's so funny. Later on the show – but later on the show, <laughs> I grew to be more sympathetic and I feel like I will probably enjoy his performance <laughs> way more when I go back and also like I can't – I, I can't help but picture Alucard when I think of him too. Um, I think Commander Adama is a character where like – and I don't know if this has ever happened with any other character uh, for me. But uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, I didn't like President Roslyn when you know she was opposing Commander Adama in, the, in near the beginning of the series. And mm-hmm. then I, I loved Gaeta, but then when he started opposing Adama, I stopped liking him and I realized – Anyone who I liked Commander Adama so much that any character who opposed him like got on my naughty list. I was like, "How dare you oppose this this man, <laughs> this like inspiring leader?" That that speech where he gives like on the like, "Oh, I need you to cross the line if you're with me." I'm like, "I will come with you, Commander Adama. I will fly with you to doom. <laughs> I will do anything you want, Edward James almost. I think you'll you'll appreciate this. So. Um, back in, uh, 2016, mm-hmm. which is when I watched a lot of these shows, um, I got so into them that, uh, <clears throat> I was also into a, into a, a game series called Danganronpa at the time. Are you familiar? <clears throat> I am not. Uh, Danganronpa is a, um, Japanese, uh, visual novel series that's basically, uh, they're murder mysteries, um, and you play a character that sort of in, uh, gets caught up in this, uh, you know, these these he's a he's a high school student. They're all high school students, and they get trapped in these killing games, basically run by a a bear, this talking little teddy bear who's like half white and half black. He's Monokuma, very interesting character design. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love these games one because you know they're just so engaging to play because of the 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 murder mystery element, and two, the character designs are so good. Uh, they're very unique. They pop. They're colorful. Um, but so I was in a Danganronpa, and I was into these sci-fi shows that are were about you know in in Battlestar Galactica's case, you know, like we're the last vestiges of humanity on this one ship. You know, in the case of Babylon Five and DS Nine, you know, we you know we're the space station that's really important, and all this you know intriguing things happen here. Um, and I was. Kind of, this was around the time I was getting started in my decision to pursue voice acting exclusively, and I was like, I want to make something. And so, I, I I do some art, you know, and 
basically, I, I'm only one man. I, I'm not an entire animation department, you know? So what I did was I'm, I said, I'm going to make a feature-length film, animated film, but it's not going to be animated so much as it's going to be animated in the style of a visual novel. Mm. Which, ironically, they call them kinetic novels. A lot of VNs are kind of that already. <laughs> like, you kind of just hit A, you know? Yeah. But, like, I wanted to create a, a movie that was in that style where I could have these unique character designs and this murder mystery. It was a sci-fi murder mystery that took place on a space station that was, you know, a diplomatic space station, you know? And so I had all these elements from the things that were inspiring me at the time. And uh, for three years, for three years exactly, I worked on this uh, film. And I, I drew everything. I wrote the, the script. There were like 12 drafts. Um... I funded it with Kickstarter. I hired, uh, I did casting on Twitter. I'm sure you will recognize many of the people in the, in the cast if you were to look it up. Um, edited, edited the whole thing. Uh, the only thing I didn't do was, uh, the, um, the music. I, I had a buddy from college that is a composer for like video games. And so I, uh, you know, I, I commissioned him to do some, music loops for me um but i started that october 2016 and october 2019 the very same day uh i released it on youtube it's called trojan base alpha uh i think you might enjoy watching it i'll, I'll link it to you later but uh like i said the the, the basic pitch is you know sci-fi murder mystery on a space station inspired by you know dank and rampa and babylon 5 and all that that's awesome. I'd love to watch it. I play a character named Alpaca Joe. <laughs> Alpaca Joe. There, there's so many sci-fi references, you'll love it. <laughs> I uh, I will definitely let you know how it is, and I will put it in the description box for all of you to listen to it. And um, I don't have I don't have like a major science fiction project like that. Uh, available other than my, my my Rick and Morty fan made projects, which <laughs> well, ever don't since hold then up. I've been doing like short form in the same style. Because mm -hmm. the, the reason I like the visual novel style is, you know, it doesn't take a million years uh, to animate, you know, and it focuses on the two things that are most important to me, which is the you know having fun doing the art and the voice acting. It's really about for me. It's really just. That whole thing was just a vehicle for voice acting, you know? <laughs> uh, and also, you know, the fun of it. But yeah, I worked like every, every day on that thing, man. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. It was too much work. <laughs> what was your favorite aspect? What was your favorite aspect of the project <clears throat> itself? Was it the fact that you were able to <clears throat> just bring this idea to life and see it come to fruition? Or was it that, or was it something else entirely? That was a big part of it. Um, Ever since I was, you know, little, I've loved uh, creating stories. Um, we didn't have internet or cable in my house until, like, 10th grade. Um, mm -hmm. Somewhere on some, you know, godforsaken flash drive uh, is a 130-page long Star Wars fan fiction I would write after school, uh, back in, like, middle school, about uh, the edgiest clone trooper in the galaxy. 
His name? <laughs> his name is Darth. Darth what? Just Darth. And he wears... <laughs> He wears sunglasses, and he has a Rambo headband, and he's got dual pistols, and he wears a black Mandalorian armor. He's a clone trooper, Mandalorian, bounty hunter, Sith Lord. And he's got a squad, man. He punched the Emperor in the face. He was like, I don't need you anymore, old man. <laughs> it's the, it is the, the cringiest thing you will ever read. <laughs> The the Rambo headband just makes me think. Did did Dave Filoni reach out to you for Hunter? Yeah, no, they, <laughs> the bad they, it's the same thing. <laughs> he had a squad, you know. He had a squad of like this Hunter guy with a red headband. He's the leader. He's got a scar. His second in command is a tech guy. My second in command was a tech guy. The other guys is one of them is a big hulked out bruiser who likes heavy weapons. My squad had a big hulked out bruiser that liked heavy weapons that was like the product of like clone trooper genetic engineering to create like a Hulk clone. And then the last guy is a silent assassin with a sniper rifle and knives. And I'm like, Dave, you hacked my computer, man. You stole my idea. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that uh, Dave probably, well, I didn't have this on my computer, but I had it in one of my notebooks at the time. I remember being really bored in my astrology class in college. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was I was not into astrology back then. Um but I had um I, 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 this this was after I had after learning about Disney acquiring Lucasfilm and knowing that we were going to get more Star Wars content. I kept thinking about what would be a really fun show or movie to have that would be something great to have. And I remembered wanting to do something similar to what kind of Firefly did, where you know they're the the people who lost the war now having to deal with uh, the ramifications of moving forward from that. But then I thought, well, what if it were, what if there was somebody that went back to Coruscant and they were a Jedi, they went back to the temple and they didn't know about Order sixty six, and then they get hunted. And that person ends up joining up with uh, a crew that has a droid, a pilot, a Mandalorian, somebody really tough to join the crew. And it had some, but not a whole lot of elements that are similar to what eventually became of Star Wars Rebels. But I thought to myself, we're actually getting a show like that? That's cool. (laughs) Okay. I will I will say the initial trailers didn't sell me originally, but when I saw the first episode, I that was another example of watching it twice within the same day because I was like, this feels like Star Wars. <laughs> this feels like a genuine Star Wars experience, and I had a good time. So part of that I was pretty pretty surprised. Part of that actually happened in the Star Wars like RPG that I run. <laughs> nice. Um. I use I use Fantasy Flight's uh, narrative dice system that they have with their Star Wars IP. I have yet to do Star Wars, a uh, Star Wars RPG like that. I want to at some point, especially with my experience with D anD D over the last couple of years. That was the first thing I ever did. Actually, uh, I, I had Star Wars RPGs before I had D anD D, just because I was into the I was into Wizards of the Coast's um, collectible miniatures at the time. And 
they encouraged you like on the back of the booster packs like hey play the rpg too i was like oh what's an rpg what are these weird dice <laughs> uh and so is this how you play sabak huh <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I i'm enjoying i'm enjoying how much we've been nerding out in this episode <laughs> yeah i i know a lot more about this than i know about food actually <laughs> uh i will i will say same um I used to have the visual dictionaries for the original trilogy and Phantom Menace. My brother and I used to have all the toys oh, yeah. for a lot of stuff. We didn't have the Death Star, but we did have the Millennium Falcon. And I still catch myself feeling very happy whenever something really awesome involving Star Wars comes along mm -hmm. and I just I embrace it. I, I read like um, all the old EU books. I had all the like the Lego uh <laughs> actually you'll love this you'll love this um mm -hmm. there was a hobby store in our neighborhood that unfortunately had to close down uh and so they had a whole bunch of like liquidation sales and then the this is a, a store actually that's been in the neighborhood for like i don't even remember how many years it's like a hundred years not that many but like a long time it's where they invented the rogue class. Like, the rogue class was invented within those walls. Um, nice. But I, I showed up on the last day of them getting rid of stuff, and the guy was like, dude, just, like, take whatever you want. I'm done, like, you know. It was, like, the, the scraps were free, basically. And so I was digging around, you know, looking for treasure, basically. And I found... Uh, I found, still in their bags... Um, the original 1982, I think, run of the the uh, the pewter Kenner micro figures uh, from Hoth. Nice. That were about I, I they're about the same size as a D and D mini, but uh, yeah, I was like, dude. I'm I'm gonna rescue these. I don't want these to get thrown away. You know, he was gonna throw everything away. Um, one of them I I call the laughing snowtrooper. I think he's supposed to be like a snowtrooper. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be a snowtrooper that's like getting shot or something. But like he has his hand on his belt and he's like leaning back and like he looks like he's laughing. <laughs> like he's totally doing like a, a belly laugh, like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't imagine an imperial snowtrooper laughing. That just sounds hysterical <laughs> to me. <laughs> Holy crap. That's a, that's 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 funny. That is really funny. <laughs> um I'm trying to think if I have any anything Star Wars related to share as far as something along those experiences. Um I don't. I I don't have anything like I found like a very rare thing involving Star Wars. I wish I would. Um, I feel like if I, if there was any circumstance of where I felt like I found something rare, it was probably discovering the Jango Fett comics in Bounty Hunter. Oh, nice. Um, without having to without without having to go online and look them up because we didn't have <laughs> we had dial up internet at the time. Right. Um. So it was it was cool to go through that and then um and then just many years later have 
Boa Fett pop up in the Mandalorian and you see his chain code and people actually deciphered it and it tied in the Jaster Mareel. Oh yeah. And I'm and I'm like, that's fucking amazing. That's the kind of shit I want to see more of in in Star Wars where just things that I was really into when I was younger getting pulled back into canon just what makes me happy whenever that does happen. But did, you, did you see the trailer I, for uh, Boba Fett? Oh yeah. So when when the uh, the Bomar monk spider droid like crawls across screen in like the first two seconds of it, I was like, "That's Bib. That's you can't tell me that's not Bib. That's that's they they, they, they took his brain out just like in the books. He's in there. Bib <laughs> Bib Fortuna. Do you know about that? It was in one. Of, I don't actually. It was in one of my favorite EU books called Tales from Jabba's Palace, which was basically just an anthology. Oh, we we my brother and I did have that, but I forgot all about that episode. That's like one of my story. favorite books. It's like every single background character in Jabba's Palace having like a little short story about them. But uh, Bib Fortuna's was like he comes back after the sail barge explodes or whatever, and he's like, "Okay, I'm in charge now." And the Bomar monks are there, and they're like, "Oh, hi." And they like hold him down. They cut his brain out. They put him in like a that. They put him in one of the spider walkers, and the rest of the stories is him being pissed off that he's in the spider walker and trying to like use a fork. <laughs> like he's trying to call someone and he can't hit the buttons, and so he's trying to like manipulate like a fork to like hit the buttons for him. But he has these like spider arms, obviously. So the story I remember was I, I can't remember his name, but that that big dude. That um trained the Rancor, uh, and Ma cried when yeah. Luke killed him. Malkali or Malikali, it starts with an M. Something along those lines. Yeah, I remember it starting with an M. That was a story that stuck with me. I remember the Glove of Darth Vader book being Malikili. something my brother and I would kind of go Malikili. I remember the Glove of Darth Vader being a story that my brother and I kind of went back and forth on. Oh yeah, I. I did not grow up being a fan of the Thrawn trilogy because I never experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, in <laughs> fact, I've in fact I didn't even get started on the trilogy until it was confirmed that he would pop Thrawn would pop up in Rebels. I was like, okay, I want to see more of this guy oh, nice. who people have been telling me about off and on over the years. And I will say, I did not finish Hair of the Empire for two reasons. One. I wanted every time we were not on Thrawn, I would be mad. <laughs> I I was glued to that character. I was I I wanted to just skip to his scenes whenever <laughs> they would come up or whenever they would end. I was like, let me just get to the next Thrawn scene. I I kind of have a good idea as to what happens in the story anyway. And then hearing Mark Thompson, one of my all-time favorite narrators in the history of the world, voicing Wookiees speaking basic is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in Star Wars yeah. next to Palpatine coming back. It's it, it just felt weird, like in a in a weird way that's just I know I know this shit didn't happen in canon. I know this was back during a time before the prequels existed. Because they were talking about all these things involving the Clone Wars, I was that I just kept thinking that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So my brain was trying to adjust to that. But the Wookiee speaking basic—that's where I was like, okay, I can't take this seriously anymore. <laughs> and now, 
And now with the possibility that we could be having the sort of quote-unquote canon rendition of Thrawn's reemergence in, in, in a way with what they're doing with the Disney Plus shows makes me interested in wanting to actually finish the Thrawn trilogy, um, even though there are multiple ways to do it. Like there's like a motion comic version that has Mark Thompson's audio put in with like the comic book version of the Thrawn trilogy, which honestly looks really cool. I also have the Thrawn trilogy on com- comicsology that I could read through whenever I want to. Um, and I do have the first two audiobooks. The third one I didn't grab. Um, but I, I loved his rendition in the 2017 audiobook that came out. I've mm-hmm. listened to that multiple times and just hearing how he speaks in that one is just, I may not be a gay man, but that voice could melt butter. And I'd be happy to see that butter melt every time he spoke. Thrawn said. <laughs> I I like Thrawn. I think he, like he has his. He definitely has his like place in the imperial like culture. I also think Thrawn's like funny, just because like when you actually think about like his basically his superpower of like he looks at art and then he knows what your tactics are. I I, I always think about like, well, what would Thrawn think if he looked at like Earth or if if Thrawn wanted to like take over Earth. And he looked at, like, you know, pick art. Pick, like, the Mona Lisa. He would be like, ah, yes. The humans enjoy pictures of humans that are sitting. Therefore, when they go into space, they will go in the formation of a person's fate. I don't know. I don't know what conclusion Thrawn would draw. I know what Thrawn would do if he saw my vast Dune art collection (laughs) that's on my phone. He'd be like, oh, he yes. would, in order to threaten, he would probably f- in order to, to defeat William, I must first attack the Dune. <laughs> yes. I don't know. That would, that would, that would hurt me in a lot of ways. Um, I will, I will definitely mention that, um, uh, I will definitely mention that there was a very brief moment before I started watching Dune for the very first time. Um, I saw it in IMAX and it was, I think after the Batman trailer, there was like maybe two more trailers and then they were doing the whole IMAX promo thing and it was all starting to hit me that (laughs) I was about to watch a Dune movie. And I was worried at first because I thought to myself, I've been kind of chill for the last couple of hours because I had a really good dinner beforehand. I I waited patiently for the movie to start. I was pretty excited though, but I just felt like I was a lot more chill about it than I was for seeing The Force Awakens for the first time or mm-hmm. the um, the Aven- Avengers Endgame for the first time. I felt pretty chill in comparison to those. But once I knew the movie was about to start, that's when I started to feel it, and I was like, I really hope this will be really good. That's all I care about. I don't care if they don't do this from the book. I don't care if they don't say this from the book. I just want it to be good. And the moment – and we're – spoilers at this point. Huh? Um, 
the moment it starts with the Sardaukar, <laughs> dreams are messages from the deep. I was completely caught off guard from that. And I feel like that was intentional. I feel like that was very intentional <laughs> on their part to just, that's a unique way to start this movie. Um, but I rem the very, the very moment I knew I was excited. I was every bit of that Dune nerd that I have become since November of 2019 when I first started reading the book was when I first heard the that I had heard from Hans Zimmer from listening to the sketchbook mm -hmm. soundtrack beforehand and listening to the other songs that he had put out. That's when I knew Dune was finally here. And single-handedly the best movie-going experience I've ever had was seeing it in IMAX that first time. I think my favorite uh, part of the score was uh, the Bene Gesserit's uh, theme. You remember that one mm -hmm. where the... A lot of whispering, yeah. Oh yeah, the whispering, which I didn't notice this until my second time seeing it in IMAX, which I've never done that before. Uh, seeing a movie twice in IMAX. Um when Jessica, Lady Jessica is talking to Leto about um, – she wanted to tell him about what's going on with Paul. And he's like, no, I don't want to know. And she's trying to console him and ask him what's wrong. You can kind of hear the Bene Gesserit whispering going on in this very intimate scene. And the more, the more they start to get to where they can be a bit more tender together – that's when the whispering starts to slowly fade away. And I never picked up on it till my sixth viewing. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good detail. It's a very good detail. Um, I could definitely say my favorite music point in the movie was um, hearing the booming sounds of when the sandworm was rising up. And hitting that hill of sand, and it just had this giant tidal wave ripple effect as Paul and Gurney were moving away from the spice harvester. That was pretty good. I had chills during that part. I had, I, 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 I they really make that worm seem as devastating and huge as possible just from just that impact right there. And then seeing the teeth slowly form around the spice harvester i remember my jaw dropping during that but was really but one thing i noticed that was very funny though <laughs> this is probably the funniest thought i had watching dune the second time in imax because i had seen it four times at home the scene where their ship is rising from that uh it's probably the ocean it's just popping out of the ocean yeah it looks really cool on my television but I had my jaw on the floor seeing it in IMAX, even though I knew it was coming. But just seeing it look so fucking huge coming out and having that music build with it and that blaring noise mixed with the speakers that were there. 
it really felt like a different experience. It really does. Like, this is what Denis kept talking about with, like, this has to be seen on the big screen. It's like, you really do feel a difference. And even in IMAX, I could tell, like, there were more details that I didn't notice before. I was noticing people that were in the foreground working on stuff that I didn't even pick up on. Like, oh, they're doing that over there with the Thopters. That's cool. Or they're doing this over there. I didn't I didn't notice that. And but one thing I did notice was it wasn't as widescreen as it is at home. So it's easier to see Foof uh not Foof here, but Dr. Yui's head in the Baron's hand after he's chopped his neck off. Um you you can see it a bit better in a widescreen picture, but in IMAX it looks like you can kind of see part of the head. Um so there is that where, like, if you're more of a widescreen person, you might find a couple of details there in Dune. But in IMAX, the scale, the sound, the music are amplified extremely. And I really hope they'll bring it back to IMAX before part two comes out, which I'm so glad is happening. I'm so glad it's happening. Yeah, I enjoyed a lot of the, the ships with uh, the scenes with the ships, uh, particularly the <clears throat> the. Um... When the Emperor's envoy shows up and they they come on that big. Uh portal turret looking thing uh and uh i think what what really made it good was it like they had the procession adjacent to it so you could compare them you know that's what made mm -hmm. it seem really big uh i wonder if that was i wonder if that was a highliner like a guild highliner um uh, or if it was could be i thought that the um i thought that that uh basking whale looking thing was the guild hi <laughs> guild highliner oh are you are you talking about the bubble or the one that looks like it's got the big hole in the front? The one that looks like a basking whale. The tube. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Mm -hmm. The the bubble. Yeah, I could see that. The bubble was just like a. I don't know. It was someone's ship. Little. <laughs> a little a little ship where it's it's uh, it's feet, if you will, are like as big as trees. Yeah. <laughs> They they, te they then, teased us a little bit with the the guild representatives. I don't I don't actually know who among that crowd of helmeted individuals was supposed to be the guild representatives, but I'm I'm very hopeful to see a uh, fish next time. I I would be very surprised if we see one in part two. Yeah. I know for certain <laughs> we'll see one in Messiah because we know. Um, but Eddie. Yep. Um. But the um, but what one thing I also noticed in the IMAX rendition because I didn't notice this in the HBO version, the face of one of the guys in the guild suit with the spice all inside, I could kind of see a face in there. I could see like a nose and some lips, and it looked like the person inside was just they were they were probably a little toasted, if you will. Yeah, um, it might be a stage two navigator. Yeah, that's that was where that was something I I was like I did not expect to see that because um, you would think after seeing a movie five times prior there wouldn't be any more details to pick up on but there they are how how would you um, how would you have reacted if uh, Baron Harkonnen I I still call it Harkonnen by the way I, I'm a Harkonnen that's believer, fine. not Harkonnen <laughs> but uh, how would you have reacted if uh, Baron Harkonnen in, in uh, Dune twenty twenty one was like, uh, by the time the traitor is fully revealed, 
the fate of Atreides will already be sealed. <laughs> like Ian McNeese in the sci-fi miniseries. I would have... <laughs> I would have... I would have felt like... <laughs> Wait, sorry, you said... I would have felt... You said you haven't seen that, right? The sci-fi miniseries? I saw the... I saw the miniseries for Dune, okay. but not Children of Dune. Because he talks in so rhymes. I did see that one. He talks in rhymes. It's so funny. It's really funny. <laughs> um, I I was the, there's there's two things I remember specifically. Well, actually, there's three things I remember specifically about the sci-fi miniseries. One, I had um, I I I was a lot more scared of Paul than how he was being handled in the David Lynch version, where I was like, this is actually a bit more interesting than what happened to him in that movie. Um, but I, I felt like there were some details I didn't really keep in my brain. So when I went through the book, uh, some stuff made a lot more sense and some stuff was mm -hmm. a lot clearer to me. Um, but I remember that being interesting. And then the <laughs> second thing was, I thought the costumes were terrible. Tuh. I I. Do not like the costumes in that movie whatsoever. Oh, you, you didn't like how the Sardaukar um, looked like uh, chefs. No, <laughs> this is the this is the voice that cook voices that cook show. This is not the Sardaukar looking like chefs. I want you didn't I want my Sardaukar to look like really dangerous, tough brutes that have <laughs> throat singing priests guiding them along their way. You, you didn't like how the guild representatives looked like the dark magician from Yu-Gi-Oh! and they would, like, move their hands around whenever they talk, like, the guild does not take your orders. I forgot about that. Those guys are the best. I totally forgot about that. They're all dressed identically, <laughs> and, then, and they're all, like, dancing together while they talk to Paul. <laughs> and then the other thing I remember, besides the not-so-great CGI, was... The incredibly annoying quick cut action sequences that happen throughout the movie <laughs> or the miniseries. I really, I really hate that style of, and, and this is coming from someone who was, who, who was a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They did that all the time. So I'm like, can we just get back to the fun banter? Can we just go back to that rather than y'all just doing <laughs> quick cut punching that just feels like it's giving me a headache, please? Um, I couldn't stand that. So the fact that Dune had action sequences that kept the camera rolling for a good portion of it made me very happy. But if if we got to see Stellan Skarsgård talk about Yui like that, I would have been turned off very quickly. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm I think that's probably my favorite version of the Baron so far in any medium. Um, <laughs> he is very scary. He is intimidating. He looks fantastic as far as the the <clears throat> gluttonous, imposing figure that he is meant to be um, is handled. And he also seems a lot more manipulative and someone you really would not want to fuck with in comparison to, I think, how he is in the novel, where it just seems like in the novel he had a lot more – There, he was a lot more um, – I've got a master plan and it's all coming to fruition sort of person. I like his little um, uh, ring shield. Me too. I liked all the shields. I thought the shields did not look like something out of Minecraft. I think the decision um, to make them like turn red whenever they got penetrated was like really helpful. Oh yeah, that's a great visual cue. Um, but what I, were you I don't saying? feel like we needed to have... What you were saying a second ago, really quick, uh... When I, I love that about uh, 
doing like uh that's just like another funny bit for me especially uh, with the uh, the lynch movie too is when uh the baron's always like talking up how smart his plan is he's like i've concocted a genius ingenious scheme that is so subtle and uh, unfathomable that not the gr- not the greatest mentat mind could possibly decipher my secrets and you're like, what's your plan, Mr. Baron? It sounds great. He's like, oh, I have a man on the inside. And he's like, wow. <laughs> wow, well, what else? That sounds great. It's like, oh, no, that's it. I have a man on the inside. That's my plan. Like, oh, okay, Mr. Baron. I feel like I could have thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> that that could have that been something that other people could have probably <laughs> predict, maybe predicted. Um, it's just... Which I am. It's 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 just funny because in the books and in the lunch, but he just talks it up so much. He's like, "I am the smartest yes. person. No one in the history of mankind could have possibly come up with a plan so subtle and ingenious as having a man on the inside." I paid a dude. I kidnapped a dude's wife. He works for me now. That's the plan. What I do find really interesting is I broke his imperial um, conditioning. Yes, um, which I do find the imperial conditioning element um, absent. This was this was something that that was this was something that I I was totally fine with them not mentioning in the movie, um, especially since um, no one else knew about Yui until it happens. So I'm kind of glad they kind of just kept their mouth shut about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in order to put that into the movie, they would have needed to do the Thufir suspecting Jessica subplot, because otherwise, like, there's no point anyway. So I didn't miss it, personally. Also, I, 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 and I totally understand that people would want certain things to be in the movie, but were Piter DeFreeze and Thufir Hawa and Dr. Yui really people's favorite characters from the Dune series? Um... Were they really? Like, I feel like them being... A little having le- less screen time than some of the other characters is totally okay with me because I never really felt as gravitated towards them as Gurney, Duncan, Leto, Jessica, Paul. I, w- um, I would put Thufir and Piter a little bit higher just because I like Mentats. I like the idea of Mentats. Mentats are cool. That would have been, you know, hopefully we'll get to explore them a bit more. Um, I would say that. According to Denis, according to Denis, they. They will. Cool. In part two. Um, and I would say that um, the performance uh, uh, of Piter in 2021 actually elevated Piter. Uh, I think that's probably the best Piter's ever been. I'd agree. <laughs> um, I can't think of the actor's name off the top of my head right now, but he did a wonderful job. Um, I also really like how they do that whole... Uh, where their eyes turn white, like they kind of just roll to the back of their head and they're doing calculations, mm-hmm. figuring shit out really quickly. I mean, they look a lot um, slicker than they did, like having those giant bushy eyebrows and like constantly slobbering the red juice, you know? The Satcho juice. <laughs> I'm glad that, I'm glad that, that we didn't have to hear that. Uh, even though I know Frank Herbert wrote that, but I'm like, I'm kind of glad we didn't hear that in this version. It was in the Lynch movie, not the book, but I'm kind of glad we didn't have to hear like a whole Satcho Juice uh, thing there. If there. The only thing in the movie, the only two things that I wish were in the movie that are not in the movie, 
I wish we would have had a scene with Gurney Halleck playing the battle set, which hopefully could still happen in part two. And then another thing that I hope will still happen in part two is he gives water to the dead. Mm. I I want to hear that uttered. I want to see Paul Atreides cry in front of Fremen so that way they say that. So that way when people see me quote that, they'll understand what it means and not go, what the fuck are you talking about? Hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, I was very happy with what was not in the movie and what was in the movie. And I want to see what they do with part two to maybe answer a few questions that people might not have had the first time to, you know, like there's the whole Mentat thing, which obviously Denise said, we're going to focus on that a bit. And then obviously the visions will probably be a lot more clear at this point with part two. But by then, once you have part two done, then that's when I feel like people could start asking and go, okay, when are we going to get an extended cut? That just adds all the Hmm. scenes you could put in. Because at that point, like there's scenes that I feel like were deleted, (laughs) but maybe could be thrown into part two or could be, there could be some information that just ends up getting explained in part two to take care of some stuff that was missed out in the first time around. Um, I feel like once you have the full picture, then that's when you could be like, okay, you could do, you could add the deleted scenes to make your super cut or whatever, to make it all flow in a way that makes sense and works. And that's, that's, that's just how I feel about it. Just from thinking about it from the point of view of not only that part two is going to, be coming out, but also thinking about it as a trilogy that's going to culminate with Messiah. So if you don't have, if you don't have in part one anything involving the uh, UE secrecy plan plot thing, it's okay because as far as making this a Dune slash Dune Messiah trilogy, it's not as huge as something that would ultimately culminate to that point. But if we were to learn a bit more about Mentats in part two, which Denise said yes, then that means we're going to be able to understand more of what a certain Gola is going to be going through in Messiah. Right. Since he will be a Mentat and be called Hate and probably be played by Jason Momoa. Probably. Probably. Very likely. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Which, that's also probably my favorite Duncan Idaho. <laughs> I will I will mention, I want to mention two more things about Dune, and then I'm going to have to run. Okay. Um, I absolutely loved when Paul tells Jessica, get off me. Yeah, the, vo- the, vo- the voice was very well done. Uh, that the, the effects they would do on the voice. I, I like the, the Thopter bit with the voice as well. Yes, that scene was perfection. Um, the voice was handled in such a cool way, and it sounds it sounded so booming in IMAX. Not to the point of peaking so much. Um, well, at least it felt that way for me the first time I saw it. The second time I saw it, it's like, okay, it sounds like it would be of a reasonable powerfulness, but not to the point of hurting any ears. Um, but what I really loved seeing from Paul was this growing he still loves his mother but knowing what they the Benny Jesser have done to him he he's getting a very understandable distrust toward her and 
then seeing that they basically have done the Missionaria Protectiva, which they basic she basically explains the Missionaria Protectiva to him without calling it the Missionaria Protectiva. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was great <laughs> that they actually put that in there. I'm like, thank fuck, thank goodness that's in here, because I wish that was in the Lynch version. Uh, even though I feel like there was a deleted scene that might have had it, from what I recall. Yeah, it was um, it was good to mention because that that's that's something you can miss in the books as well. And I also remember going back through the audiobook to go through my my revisit of Dune, and I really wanted to pay attention to those moments when we start to see that Paul is going to break bad, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're very subtle; they are so subtle. So it's like, no wonder people are missing it. It's like, you you almost have to look for it. But with the movie, that look on his face at the end, when he sees the desert power he can have, and the fact that he knows the Holy War is coming, but he's willing to make an active choice to stick with his goals, because on the one hand, he kept seeing Jameis kill him in a future, but he killed Jameis in reality, so there is a possibility he can change the future, but he's also actively willing to still go for a revenge plot against the Harkonnens and try to also um, make a bargain to the Emperor. That is where it's like, yeah, Paul, you are clearly going to use this missionary protectiva <laughs> to your advantage. And it's the golden I'm path, glad man. that's not yet, <laughs> not yet, because he's like, fuck that shit, which, dear God, could you imagine in Dune Messiah, he is seeing future terrible things happening before him, and then just this shadowy image of this, of this, like, 12-foot-tall worm with human <laughs> hands, and he's just like... I shall not become a god! And then, this is what I would want to have happen more than anything in Dune Messiah. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't have to happen. I either want that to happen, where Paul sees that that creature he would have to become to make the Golden Path work, which he rejects, or... I would love for the last shot of Dune Messiah to be baby Leto II and baby Ganima. Just, they're just looking at the screen. They're just looking directly at us. And then, like, the camera turns, not really turns around, but, like, just cuts to what they are envisioning. And it's this golden walkway of possibilities. And, and then, I and then, know and then, every Dune... F- and then Dorothy and the Tin, just, tin Man come down, right? The Scarecrow? No, it would be Demon Dorothy! Oh, Demon Dorothy! You have not been on this show for quite some time. Yes, hello! I wanted to make sure I saw Doom before I came back on. And I'm so glad I did! I'm so glad! So I can now join the conversation. Yes, yes, um... Demon Dorothy has been a regular on the show, I should mention. Um, but I just like the idea of, like, the last shot of Doom Messiah would be, other people might see it as like, 
That's very interesting to see, but the Dune fans will go, that's the golden path. That's a visual <laughs> representation of the golden path via prescience. Um, that's what I would want at that point, other than I want to see everybody cry at the end, because they're going to. I even I even remember getting choked up the first time I went through Messiah, and then I listened to the audiobook, and I'm like, this is still getting to me! <laughs> That movie's gonna hurt people. Yeah, I like Messiah. I think that's probably my second favorite of the books. I just like I mostly just like the the conspiracy uh aspect. The conspiracy the conspiracy is so strong. Edric and Saitao and And Gaius Helen Mahayim. Um which that was really cool. Uh when her and the Baron and Piter were in that that sh- that almost like soundproof shield, so they could speak without anyone hearing them. It's it's the cone of silence. It's a D and D spell. Uh. <laughs> that that gave me that made me feel like that was that that and the spider, <laughs> the spider creature and uh, the beetle with that was at Duncan Idaho's corpse. Um, those were the, all the moments that made me feel like these are visual foreshadowings of messiah right here and there um i think i think it's a, spider, it was a big it was a big um uh contributor to kind of this overall feel of like how much the these uh you know factions value secrecy mm-hmm. very true though i will say i do th- also think that human spider proxy if it's not a benny toilexu creation which i'm willing to bet it is if it's not, I'd like to think it's just an Easter egg from Denise's other movie, Enemy. Hmm. Which, if y'all have seen it, I think you know I saw. What I'm about. I think I saw that was uh, in like a comic or something, like a Dune comic or like a Dune. It's 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 it was in a Dune something. It was in like maybe like an old Dune RPG uh, book. I don't remember, but uh, I don't know. It was on R slash Dune. So there you go. I am I am wanting to do something with the Adventures in the Imperium RPG. I know that for certain. That I really want to do. I think we've talked about it before, but yes, I'm just putting it out in the public. <laughs> I want to do that at some point. That, that that doing a campaign with that would be so fun. All right. And All right, well, is there I, anything else I that could... you I I I can tell you about uh voice acting, cooking or miscellaneous uh, sci-fi properties before we I think wrap we've up covered here. I think we have literally covered everything except where can the listeners of voices that cook follow you uh well I have a Twitter and it is at acting Malconian um and that's basically the only social media that I'm active I do have other accounts littered around the internet but I don't really use them uh Gotcha. So, yeah. Come say hi at Acting Malconian. Please do say hello to him. And if you want to follow me, you're welcome to do so on Instagram at The Voice That Cooks and on Twitter at Voice That Cooks. And do feel free to chat, chat with us not only about, uh, in case maybe anything we've talked about way earlier in the show made you go, ooh, I'd love to make that at some point. Share with us your recipes and let us know what you think of the show. And also talk with us about Dune, Deep Space Nine, Star Wars. We love science fiction up in this shit. So please do feel free to let us know all that fun, amazing things that make us all happy to exist in this world. 
But also, lastly, thank you all so much for listening. And if you are listening to this on an app that allows you to review it, please do leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show so far. And I think that's about it, Matt. Michael, thank you so, so much for coming on to the show. And um, I hope we get to talk more about science fiction again soon. Thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have our chance. Of course, of course. And for any of you that go, oh, I hope they do. I'd be scared if they did. Fear not, because fear is the mind killer. Yoda said that. <laughs> fear the mind killer is. <laughs> uh, that's that's a pretty good button. All right. Good night, everyone.